If you close your eyes and think of a farm, what images or words come to your mind? Probably cows, sheep, open fields, chickens, bales of hay, tractors, maybe some fruit and veg? Well, what you probably didn't think of is AI technology mapping weeds and plants in a field. Well, if this is the first time you've come across agriculture technology, also known as agritech, it's a term that's used to describe tech innovations in agriculture to increase its yield, efficiency and profitability. It can also be the use of robots and big data and AI or any methods necessary in order to solve the challenges that the farming industry faces today. I spoke with Sam Watson-Jones, co-founder of Small Robot Company, who's an agritech startup that's reimagining farming as we know it. He shared with me his vision and passion to drive the farming community to do smart farming. So over to you, Sam. Yeah, so Small Robot Company is a UK-based agtech startup, and we've been going about four years. Uh, we're about 50 people now, um, and we are developing the technology to enable per-plant farming. Um, so this is this is this idea that uh, you're going to be able to, uh, ultimately on any crop, anywhere in the world, you're going to be able to gather intelligence on each individual plant in a field, and you're going to be able to take action at that same level of detail. So we're, we're creating, if you like, a digital view of the field um, that, uh, that we can then put AI algorithms to work on um, to, uh, to really change the, the financial picture of farming for one thing, but also the environmental sustainability of farming. And so we're doing that by building um, three robots um, they're called Tom, Dick and Harry. Um, and they're all governed by an AI brain called Wilma. Um, she's the boss. She's the brains of the operation. Um, and so what happens is Tom is a scanning robot. And we're, we're demonstrating Tom here today at Goodwood. Uh, he goes out into a field and scans the field. Um, and by scan, we mean he is, he is identifying each individual plant in the field. So if it's a crop plant or if it's a weed, all of that information is then precisely geolocated. Um, so we know exactly where every single plant is in the field. That information is then sent to Wilma. Wilma is a bundle of AI algorithms. She's interpreting the data and then sending instructions to Dick and Harry. Dick is a crop care robot. So the first thing he's doing is he is uh, non-chemically killing weeds. So taking herbicides out of the equation Dick identifies an individual weed in the field and then zaps it with electricity. So sends electrical shock through it, kills it without using any herbicides. And then also micro spraying, um, uh, so spraying fertilizers and chemicals, um, but in very, very precise amounts and only on the plants that need it. And then Harry is a precision planting robot, um, placing individual seeds in the ground, varying the seed spacing and seed depth um, based on AI and, and an understanding on what's going to create the, the optimum conditions for each individual plant. So it's a totally different way of farming that, um, that moves us away from big heavy tractors that are, that are crushing the soil and causing all sorts of issues around compaction and, and soil erosion, um, getting away from the mass application of chemicals and fertilizers, getting right down to that per plant level, and doing things in a much more much more precise way. 
So it's great to see uh, Tom, Dick and Harry and Wilma here today. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what do the robots look like and what they do? Yeah, sure. So Tom, Tom, Dick and Harry are the robots and then Wilma is the, is the software. She's the brains, she's the AI interface. Uh, she is both gathering data from the robots and sending it out in, in, in the form of instructions to them. And so Tom is our scanning robot. Tom, I guess, is the size of a uh, of a quad bike, maybe maybe a, maybe slightly larger than a quad bike. And he is um, uh, he's he's orange, and he is uh, ground based, um, and he trundles through the field. And what he is doing is capturing images on every single plant in the in the field, um, digitizing the field, if you like, and sending that data back to Wilma, who's then interpreting interpreting it using AI. Um, at the moment, Tom is crop scanning. Uh, we're really gathering as much visual data as we, as we can. Um, but in time, Tom will be doing um, much more interaction with the crop and with the soil. Um, so, we're, so we certainly see a future for Tom uh, uh, changing the way that we sample and think about soils. Um, and then Dick and Harry are, um, so Dick is also here today. Harry's still at the workshop. Um, Dick is, Dick looks a little bit more like a big spider. Right, and so Dick is a crop care robot, um, and so he is, I guess, slightly larger than slightly larger than Tom. And what he is doing, or what we're demonstrating today, is non-chemical weeding. So he identifies an individual weed uh, in the in the crop, and then he physically touches that weed uh, and zaps it with electricity. So killing the weed without using any herbicides. And then Harry, still in the workshop at an earlier stage of development. Um, Harry's a precision planting robot, so he'll cover. Um, I guess he'll be about three meters wide um, and uh, really replacing uh, a farmer's drill today, if you, if you know what they look like, um, but doing it in a much more precise way. So going, doing it with an understanding of, of the variation in soil, soil type and texture, and then varying the seed spacing and seed depth based on that understanding of the soil and also on AI models that are enabling him to understand what is optimal for each individual plant. I feel like you've answered so many questions there already in one. Um, but can you give us an idea of what's happening in the farming industry um, today that's inspired this invention? Yeah, so I think I think there are two there are two big trends. Firstly, uh, precision farming as a term has been around for twenty to thirty years, uh, but but it's but we really thought uh, when Ben and I, my co-founder, got together four years ago, we we really thought that it was being it was being thought about in the wrong way. So. Everything was uh, was directed towards uh, adding new technologies onto the, onto existing onto existing machinery. So I've got a big 36 meter sprayer. How do I make that better? Well, I will make it so it's auto steer, or I'll, uh, I'll I'll have auto nozzle shut off technology so I can control each individual nozzle, um, and and that's fine. That does make that machine better, but it doesn't take us as far as the technology that we have available today could enable could enable us to go. So we really thought that actually there was a lot more that technology could do to, to take farming further forward, but that you needed, crucially, you needed new hardware to enable that to happen. You couldn't do it just by retrofitting existing hardware, big tractors, big sprayers. So I think that's one big thing. The second thing is around farming becoming much more conscious of its environmental impact. And, and broadly, people becoming much more aware of where their food comes from as well. And so, 
A big trend which is part of this is something called regenerative agriculture. So this is this idea that um, uh, the, the, there are a number of concepts around this, but essentially it is around a farming system that prioritizes soil health. So always maintaining living roots in the soil, minimizing soil disturbance, um, and, uh, and, and eventually integrating livestock into the system as well really trying to, to prioritize soil health and, and limit environmental impact. And so that's changes that, that, that's, that's changed that a lot of farmers are already creating uh, on their farms, but with existing machinery. And what our technology does is it really accelerates that transition that farmers are already, are already making. Um, and we do that in a couple of ways. I mean, firstly, we're, um, you know, farmers, the farmers using existing technology still have to deal with an element of compaction, which is a big, heavy machine crushing the soil. We more or less remove that. Farmers who are farming regeneratively are, um, are trying to reduce their inputs. Well, we can significantly accelerate that by doing things on the per plant level rather than retrofitting existing machinery, as I said. And then the third thing is that, that because we're using artificial intelligence, we're, we're, we're basically creating an interconnected learning network of farmers. So every farmer who um, who wants to go down this regenerative path is basically uh, operating in the dark a little bit. You know, they're making, they're making mistakes, they're going into this sort of journey into the unknown. Um, and, and they will all talk about this, you know, they make a lot of mistakes, they have to learn from experience, they learn from other farmers. Well, we're building an interconnected network of learning robots which will accelerate their learning path because a robot does something on your farm and it works or it doesn't work, but that result gets very, very accurately measured and then the learning is embedded within that robot but also within the network so that a robot that is on someone else's farm is also learning from the experiences that are on your farm so we're trying to build this network effect into farming it's a, it's an effect that's benefited other industries but never really benefited farming because because we're, we're you know farmers are all isolated isolated uh, operations really operate you know operating on their own and we think we can really build a network effect into farming where we can really accelerate the learning that farmers have towards towards optimization of uh, of of plant performance but also environmental impact yeah and there's clearly huge benefits and interest for this technology so what are the barriers to implementing things like robotics and ai to help address that sustainability challenge uh, i mean there aren't i mean the technical barriers are um are not insurmountable um but also but but also not um not small either um they really we haven't invented any new technology to develop what we what we've developed we're, we're in field we're we're commercially operating on three farms in hampshire we we have just brought together technologies that already exist but we're applying them to a new use case um it is very difficult to, I mean, we're basically building robots that interact with, or computers rather, that interact with nature. Um, that we think is one of the huge technical frontiers that hasn't really been, um, really been advanced uh, significantly yet. And, uh, and, and that's what we're doing. So it is, it is challenging, um, uh, but not insurmountable. Um, investment is a, is a challenge. Um, you know, this is a big step forward for farming. This is, this is uh, what, we're, what we're calling the fourth agricultural revolution. And so we've been really successful at raising funds from, um, from farmers, really successful at raising funds from 
uh, ag corporates and really successful at raising funds um, from, from the general public through three successful Crowdcube campaigns. Um, but but it is still uh, it is still it's it's a capital intensive it's a capital intensive industry um, and uh, and a big challenge. So that's an ongoing that's an ongoing process. Um, and and I think legislatively there are uh, there are some potential hurdles um, which we which we're trying to proactively address. So we're we're talking about robots operating entirely autonomously uh, in fields on farms. Um, there are definitely a lot of safety considerations that have to be thought, well thought through there. I mean, nothing in com- compared to things like a driverless car, um, uh, because we're not going onto public roads and things like that. Um, but still, those are those are challenges. But but I think one thing I would say is something that is not a challenge is farmer readiness and and farmer willingness to adopt. And I think when we started four years ago. Perhaps we would have thought that was the biggest challenge. You know, are farmers really ready to change, a, change from a system that is really embedded? But um, I come from a farming background. I had uh, seven years uh, managing my managing my family farm in Shropshire before starting a small robot company, and so I became you know quite well embedded in the uh, in the farming industry. And I mean, I'm absolutely certain that the farming industry is ready to is ready to adopt this. Um, uh, because they see all the issues that they've got with with with, the, with technology as it is today, so they're excited about about adopting what we call the fourth agricultural revolution. This this uh, doing things in a much more accurate way and a much more environmentally sustainable way. Yeah. So you you just mentioned there that the farming community is so ready to adopt this new technology, um, and especially about bringing together existing tech and nature into one. So what? Um, so where can we expect to see this type of innovation being used today in the UK? Yeah, so we so our first focus has been on broadacre arable farms. So this is farms growing crops like wheat and barley and oats and, and, and things and things like that. Um, we focused on that because for a couple of reasons. I mean, firstly, those are the farmers that are really facing the existential crisis. You know, those are the farmers where they are they are producing the same returns as they did 30 years ago. The same yields, they're getting paid the same amount per tonne, but they are spending much more to do it every year. You know, the tractor's got more expensive, the person driving the tractor's got more expensive, the fuel's got more expensive, all, all, all of those things. So the first is, you know, financially they have this existential threat where if, you know, more and more farmers are going out of business, um, it's not financially sustainable. But then the second thing is that it is those it is those crops. It's the crops that cover the most area in the world, and that in terms of land area, and that produce the most calories in the world. They are the ones that really need to change their environmental footprint. It's how we um, it's how we farm those that really has such a significant impact on well farming's farming's detrimental contribution to 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 the environment Um, and so if we can develop technology that can transform that then um, not only are we going to be benefiting you know financially benefiting our customers but also potentially having a really big impact on um, a positive impact on the way that we produce food and a positive environmental impact yeah and you've mentioned you know we're on the cusp of the farming revolution so in your eyes what does the future of farming look like well, yeah. So that's a that's a that's a, that's a broad question. So I, I think um, a a vision for a future of farming along the the per plant view would be um, uh, 
would be where we move away from monocultures. Um, and I think that could be a really exciting future. So what I mean by, what I mean by monoculture, you drive around, drive around the countryside today, um, you will see big open fields growing the same crop. So you have a load of genetically identical things next to each other. Now the countryside doesn't, the countryside today in 2021 doesn't look the way it has always looked. You know, there used to be far more hedges, there used to be far more trees in the middle of fields, things like that. Um, there was much more of a, uh, a blend of the natural environment and the, farm, and the farmed environment. But actually to make the machinery more and more efficient, we've ripped a load of those things out. Um, we've, we've removed a lot of diversity and it is all to make the machinery more efficient. Well, actually, I think in the future, we might be able to bring back some of those things that, we, that we've now lost. So because if we, can, if we can gather data on an individual plant and then we can take action on that individual plant, just treating that one, leaving the one that is next to it, then why wouldn't we? Um, and if we can do that up to the point, up to and including harvest, um, which we're not currently working on, but I really do think that that, that can become a thing in the future, um, that, um, well, why wouldn't we have a blend of different crops in a field? Why wouldn't we have uh, multiple different species, uh, maybe a commercial crop next to a, next to a plant that is just attracting a pollinator? It's just there for biodiversity reasons. Because as soon as you do that, of course, you need much less uh, fertilizer because you're not exhausting the, uh, the soil of a single nutrient. Of course, you need much less fungicide because you haven't got a load of genetically identical things next to each other. So if one thing catches a disease or has a risk of a disease, of course, you, you have to spray the whole field because the risk of the whole field catching that disease is so high. Well, if you break that up, if you build in more natural barriers into that, then you can massively reduce the amount of chemical that you use and that will completely change the way that our that our countryside looks today so um and i don't think it's that far off i mean i think it's a couple of decades off but it's not it's not it's not hundreds of years off and the technology more or less already exists to enable that to happen um so yeah that, that's one exciting thing i would look out for it's the the end of monocultures wow thanks again sam so much innovation going on so just moving from the open farmland to a completely different area of the food chain, well-being. I caught up with Melissa Snover, founder and CEO of Nourish, which is all about taking personalised health to the next level. She talks to us about how her business is using 3D technology to create customised vitamins. So Nourish is the world's first truly and authentically manufactured personalised gummy vitamin. We make all of our products using patented 3D printing technology and a patented vegan encapsulation gel. We actually make in our factory in Birmingham about 22 billion different combinations of this product for unique for each person. But today at the show we've got live demonstration printing and personalization apps to recommend any one of 13 different varieties so that all of the lovely people here can try it. Amazing. So I've seen a lot about Nourished on the internet actually <laughs> and on a lot of it across social media. So what inspired you to set up this company? So I actually started doing 3D printing in 2015 when I developed a concept for making your own custom confectionery in stores. And this was on the back of really being frustrated with the way that no normal factories work. The fact that you have to make hundreds of thousands of the same thing and you can never create enough options to please everyone. So by giving the creation uh, process to the consumer, we could solve that. And then I started to realize that actually, although that was cool, 
there was a huge part of the industry that really needed personalization that wasn't getting it, and that was health and wellness. So in 2020, in January, we launched the Nourish concept in the UK, and it's been kind of guns blazing ever since. So what, what has the uptake been like? Has there been a lot of demand, a lot of interest? There's been a huge amount of demand. We've um, launched in both the UK and the United States, and we have sent, I think last month, about 27,000 boxes from our factories in Birmingham. We have 70 employees, and we're doubling the business probably every three or four months. So it's very exciting. It doesn't come without its challenges, but I'm really grateful for the response of the market and my great team and how much they support me. That's incredible. So one of the things you mentioned about the product um, and unique to your business is how everything's personalized. Um, and with healthcare, not one size fits all. So could you tell us about the importance of that um, as the backbone of your company? Absolutely. So I think when you say it out loud, it makes so much sense. People think, why isn't it always been like that? The idea that up until recently, I would take the same multivitamin as my mom and as my daughter is, is really strange now when I think about it. Um, every single person has a unique life, has their own unique goals, and has their own unique existing health conditions. So the idea that a one-size-fits-all could ever work is kind of, well, it's flawed from the very beginning. But really up until now, the reason it hasn't been changed is because it's very difficult to create um, a singular product or a singular batch product for each person in a scalable way that can reach the mass market at a price point that's not totally ridiculous. And that's what we've done at Nourish by developing 3D technology where we can make a month's supply of truly customized product in less than five minutes and we can reach the world market with a really nice price point and it seems to be working. So really technology has come, um, come forward as one of the solutions to this demand and how has 3D printing technology played a huge role in this? So absolutely. So traditionally, manufacturing equipment that you use for any kind of mass-produced food or consumable is very big, very long. It's very difficult to change from one variety to another. It's very expensive. And that's the way that it's still pretty much done 99% of the time. With 3D printing, we in effect make a single batch product for each single person. And with Nourish, we combine seven different unique materials into one final output, and that's unique to us because we have a seven um, extruder head printer. But by doing this and creating this combination technology, we're able to create a product which is specific to you today that you can change every month as you change and that can be different for you and your sister, your brother, your best friend. And it doesn't cost us any more to do that than it would if we made every single time the same product. Um, and you mentioned previously, so your company's based in Birmingham. What is it about Birmingham that attracted you to that city? Absolutely. So Birmingham is the home of our business for many reasons. It has a fantastic vibe. I'm originally from New York and, you know, I grew up in places like Brooklyn when there was this amazing energy and there was tons of really cool startups. It's maybe a little different now, but that's the kind of energy you find in Birmingham. But in addition, really the main reason I chose Birmingham to start my first 3D printer business was because it has five universities with um, hugely advanced degree programs, both in under and master degree programs. It, within 10 miles of my office. So we get amazing access to talent that's highly interested and enthusiastic about what we do. And we have, I believe, at least 15 people on the team already right now that came through those graduate programs. That is super amazing. So really academia and university partnerships has played a huge role in your grad program. And it's also offering jobs to people coming out of university. What kind of roles can they expect to, when they're joining a startup like Nourished? 
So we love hiring people right out of university, especially when they possess like a really great attitude, um, a great creativity and a great enthusiasm, because I don't think you can teach that or train it. Um, but what we find is we get people from all different spheres and disciplines because our business is completely comprehensively full stack from the inside. So we do our entire production. We also make our own 3D printers that make our product. We also do all of our own marketing. We do all of our own design. We have a photo studio. Um, we do all of our own MPD. So we have, I don't know, probably about 10 different departments that are constantly hiring more people. At the moment, we're hiring around five people a week. So if anything, we can't really get people in the door soon enough. And we're really engaging with the academic community and also the maker community in Birmingham to try and let people know about what's available so that we get really great people coming through the door. Oh, wow. So there is really a huge expansion plan with the company happening right now. How are the technical abilities of the company going to help the company expand in the future? Absolutely. So what we've done is we've developed um, kind of a suite of IP. We have 12 patents in total across hardware, process, and material science, which we can combine in a multitude of different ways. Nourish is just one way to be able to create truly personalized solutions in the areas of both preventative health, things like vitamins with Nourish, and curative health with our other brands scripted, where we're working on personalized medicine and using 3D printers in order to make more effective clinical trial processes, to make them faster, more efficient and give better data sets to end patient care providers. So I believe we have a lot further to go. And because we make everything that we do in-house, we really have an amazing ability to, to hyperspeed develop and optimize the technology and push it to the next level. Do you see this going global? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. So um, just to wrap up, what is your one goal that you hope to see happen in the next five years? Oh my gosh. I really hope that we're able to bring personalized medicine out and that Scripted can go out and start making a difference in people's lives, specifically in the pediatric market where children don't often get the right dosages of medication and it's quite dangerous. And if we could have even the smallest impact in improving that situation, I would be so proud. Um, that would be enough. Thank you so much, Melissa. And I can certainly say I'll be adding some chewy bespoke vitamins to my apple a day. And there we conclude our Goodwood Future Labs special. If you miss any of our podcasts and interviews in this series, do go back and check them out. From flying cars, Mars landing, 3D vitamins to weed mapping robots, we've got tech in action. Don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for more existing tech innovations to inspire and delight. See you again soon. Goodwood.